Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 1. In Part 1, we are discussing the why we do what we do. Motive is why we do what we do. And motive is what motivates us. So whatever I'm motivated by is my motive. So the question is whether or not my motive is pleasing to God or my motive is displeasing to God. And motive is very, very important to God. In fact, and this is the focus of this lesson, glorifying God and not self is the motive, which is the key to seeing the miraculous. Now, as I've said in previous lessons, I I have to be dedicated to God. I have to be committed to God for him to impart to me a gift. But since the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, I can, after receiving the gift, I can operate the gift for a wrong motive, and it will still operate. But it will operate to my damnation if my motive is about me, about me being glorified instead of God being glorified. So let's, let's, uh, let's look at the scripture on this. Let's see whether or not this statement is true biblically. So we'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, right? But the significance of that is 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 are both dealing with spiritual gifts and spiritual things and God using us supernaturally. So in the middle of those two chapters, here's chapter 13, and it deals with motive. So I'm reading 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, which is the Greek word agape, I am become as sounding brass and or of a tinkling cymbal. We've talked about the Pharisees in these lessons, who Jesus said they everything they did, they did to be seen of men. And it, we we talked about in one scripture where where they when they were going out to bring their alms, they would have trumpets sounding, so everybody would their attention would be arrested, and everybody could see what alms they were giving. Or they would stand around in long roads on street corners praying long prayers so everybody could see how spiritual they were. So when he said, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels that have not love, that's not love is not my motive. I am become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. In the last lesson, we talked about that love is the ultimate motive because love is selfless. Agape love is selfless love. So therefore, if agape love is my motive, then it is I have a selfless motive. It's not about me at all. It's about him. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about him being glorified. So when Paul said, even though I would speak in tongues of men and of angels, if my motive is not love, I'm just a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And what's the purpose of those things? To get people's attention. 
And then he goes on and says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, which, of course, in the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, those are specific gifts of the Spirit, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. When I, it, it, when my motive is to, to cause people to see me in a greater light and a more positive light because I use the presence of God for my own glory. And the word glory again is the root word is opinion. When I'm using God to affect people's opinion of me rather than letting God use me to affect people's opinion of him, I'm, I'm, that's wrong motive and I'm touching his glory. And he's not going to give his glory to anyone. He's not giving his glory to anyone. And then he says, verse 3, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, which are the two would be the extremes of giving an offering or alms, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So even if I would give to the to the, the ultimate degree. Even though I would give to the ultimate degree, if my motive is wrong, there's no profit in it for me. And what profit are we talking about here? The profit is that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. The profit is the honor that, that he would use me as an earthen vessel to demonstrate his power because we are earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of power might be of God and not of earth, us, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So that is the honor. That is the profit to me. The profit is that he deigns to use me, that he would choose to use me, though I'm unworthy. Though I'm not able to do anything of my own, the honor is that he would use me. But the honor is between me and him. Anybody else that recognizes that God is honoring me and they acknowledge that honor, that's not the, that's not a benefit to me. It's a, it's a trap to me. Because if I take that into myself, I was with a very good friend that I've known for a long time and we worked together a lot. And, uh, and he said something very, very complimentary of me and my ministry. And I just looked at him, didn't say a word. And then he said, you don't believe that, do you? You don't believe what I said about you, do you? I said, I believe you believe it, but I can't afford to. I can't afford to take your words in here. I can't afford to. For my soul's sake. It's between you and God, whether or not it's true and whether or not you believe it. But I can't, I can't embrace that. I can only embrace what God says to me that I am. It's not what people perceive me to be. That's why Paul, Paul acknowledged he was an apostle, but he made it clear why he was acknowledging it. He said, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Not by the will of man, but by the will of God. So I can acknowledge what God is doing in my life by his will. 
but I can't take ownership of people's opinion of that. That's glorying in his presence. Let's look at the Amplified on these three words to see what other kind of depth there is here that we, we haven't explored so far. Amplified chapter 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. If I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as inspired by God's love for and in us, I am only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, and understand all secrets, secret truths and mysteries, and possess all knowledge, and if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, God's love in me, I am nothing, a useless nobody. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. That's pretty specific, is it? Isn't it? Let's, let's, let's read again. This is a Weiss expanded translation of the New Testament. First Corinthians 13, 1. If in the languages of men I speak and the languages of angels, but do not have love, God, the Greek word here used of God's love produced in the heart, the Greek, Greek word here used is of God's love produced in the heart of the yielded saint by the Holy Spirit, a love that impels one to deny himself for the sake of the loved one. I have already become at, and at present am, sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of uttering divine revelations and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith so that I am able to keep on moving mountain after mountain, but am not possessing love, agape, I am nothing. And if I use all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver up my body as a martyr in order that I may glory, but I do not have love, I am being profited in not even one thing. I am being profited in not even one thing. And then finally, well, not finally, excuse me. There's two more I want to read. Rotherham's emphasized uh, translation of the Bible says this. Although the tongue, although with tongues of men I be speaking and of messengers and have not love, I have become resounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and know all sacred secrets and all knowledge and have, and, and though I have all faith so as to be removing mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I morsel out all my goods and though I deliver up my body that I may be, that, that, that I may boast and have not love. I am profited nothing. And then uh, I believe this is the last one. Uh, it is uh, Weymouth's New Testament translation. First Corinthians 13, 1. If I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but am destitute of love, I have but, I have but become a loud sounding trumpet or a clanging cymbal. If I possess the gift of prophecy and am versed in all mysteries and all knowledge and have such absolute faith that I can remove mountains, but am destitute of love, I am nothing. And if I distribute all my possessions to the poor and give up my body to be burned, 
but am destitute of love, it profits me nothing. Dear one, (laughs) I read all those translations just so you could see how each of these scholars interpreted or translated the different words of the original Greek text. Again, as we know, the Bible's only divinely inspired its original languages. So there's no divinely inspired translation. So in comparing them, each one from their own scholarly understanding, interpreting those same Greek words, we get the full flavor of what the Greek is actually saying to us. And here it is. There's only one acceptable motive. Love. That's got to be our motive. Now, I will acknowledge to you this. I'll acknowledge to you this. This is speaking of a mature relationship with God. Nobody, nobody starts out their walk with God with that pure of a motive. doesn't happen. I may have times and seasons in my spiritual infancy, in my spiritual adolescence, where I, I have, uh, my motive is love. It's also mixed in more with whatever. I have said this half-jokingly, the, the, the most tyrannical tyrant there is is a newborn baby. Nobody expects such undivided attention and devotion and instantaneous response to wants and needs as an infant. Now, as loving parents and other caretakers, we, we respond to those needs because we know the baby cannot do for themselves. And so they're totally dependent on others. But they're expecting others to instantly respond to whatever that need is. And, of course, they can't tell us what the need is. So we have to figure out what it is that they're crying about so we can meet the need. So it is with newborn, spiritual newborns. They don't always know what's wrong. They don't always know, understand what they're feeling, what they're going through. And it's about them. And it needs to be about them. We need to, we need to, 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 to be there for them and help them through that spiritual infancy. That's our, our calling. That's the responsibility of saints of God. But as they grow out of infancy and eventually become spiritual adolescence, the lesson is beginning to be learned here. The world doesn't revolve around you. You're supposed to be a part of what's revolving around God. Now, that's not an easy lesson for this stuff to learn. And as we go through this process, We have longer and longer seasons if we're truly walking with God and letting him teach us and help us. We have longer and longer seasons that our motive is love. But it doesn't take much for our motive to switch. And it can, because the heart, Jeremiah 17, how many times I quoted this in these series of videos? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So it can change inside of me in a, in a heartbeat and I not be aware of it, not be aware of it. So I have to be aware. I have to pray and be aware of how God is responding to me because he is responding to me in the way that I will allow him to. I mean, he loves everybody, but he doesn't love everybody. He offers his love to everybody. But those that won't receive that love and don't believe that love and don't trust that love are not loved. 
not because he's not willing to love them, but because they're not willing to receive it. So God, God can only be in this period called temporal time, by his own choice, he cannot and will not violate our will. Now that's not going to last forever when time is for each one of us is up. And then for time for this period called temporal time, when, when it's not going to be anymore, this temporal uh, period of time, he's going to be God. Uh, he's going to be Lord of Lord. His will is only going to be the, going to be the only will. But for this period of time in trying to give us the opportunity to, de- to decide we love him because love is a choice. He's not going to violate our will here. He's going to talk to us. He's going to deal with us. He's going to lead us if we'll let him. But we, he cannot, will not, by his own limitations he put on himself, do anything to me that I won't let him. So if I am self-willed, he has to respond to me as one who is self-willed. If I am surrendered will and his will is my priority, then that opens the door for him to respond to me as he chooses. So I have to be sensitive to when God is, to how God is responding to me, how God is dealing with me. And I have to be willing to ask him what, what's going on in me that I, I have been deceived by my heart into believing I'm doing what's right and, and, and what is it that's not acceptable to you? David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my uh, my strength and my redeemer. So again, why would David pray that? Because none of us knows our heart. So I have to be responsive to that. And as God deals with me, and he's he's responding to me as I'm responding to him, Remember, those that make it to heaven as a part of the bride of Christ are the called, chosen, and faithful. So he calls, but he chooses those who respond to the call. And then he blesses those that are faithful. Who are those? The ones that uh, respond to the call, but at some point in the process, they're not willing to continue to put him first. They begin to put themselves first. They're not faithful. So those, that, that, that descriptive, that description of us being the called, chosen, and faithful, the saved ones that make it to heaven as a part of the bride of Christ, the called, chosen, and faithful. They've been through this process and they have, by the grace of God, surpassed each one of these tests. And God is working in our lives. It is not an easy thing to teach an infant. The word no. And as they become a toddler, and, and now you're having conflicts with them because they, their will is to do this. And we, we don't want them to do that for their health reason, for their safety reason. But it's also important just to teach that toddler, toddler how to hear the word no and accept it. Because authority says, mom, dad says, no. No. That's important in our lives for us to learn the word no. God does the same thing. We come to him. He just showers stuff on us as a spiritual infant. He showers his love. He just puts so much love in us, does so much for us. But then, as it's time for us to begin to learn that it's not about us, it's about him, 
and he begins to tell us, no, I've watched mature people who were spiritually immature pitch a fit. That's Southern for getting really angry. Why? Because God wouldn't give them what they wanted. And you're not a loving God. If you really love me, you would do this. Yeah, that's manipulation. If you love me, God, you would give me this. If you love me, you would do that. Let me tell you what you're going to learn real quickly. Not going to work. He's not going to be manipulated. He's not going to be manipulated. You can't obligate him and you can't manipulate him. He does for those who willingly do his word. Not out of obligation, but but out of love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the motive. Because I love him, I keep his commandments. Now, I can keep his commandments out of fear. I can keep his commandments uh, outwardly so that he's obligated. But the motive for keeping his commandments is love. That's it. The motive is love. So the question then comes down to this. Uh, Can God really use us in the miraculous if our motive isn't love? If that's not our motive? Let's talk just a little bit about agape love. I'm reading uh, parts of the definition from Vine's Expository Greek Dictionary. You are welcome to read the whole thing. I, I, I don't have time, and I'm not going to take the time to read every word of it. But uh, according to Vine's Expository Greek Dictionary, uh, the love is the uh, agape, uh, both the verb and the noun uh, form of it, is the, is the characteristic word of Christianity. And since the spirit of revelation has used it to express ideas previously unknown, inquiry into its use, whether in Greek literature or in the Septuagint, uh, throws but little light upon its distinctive meaning in the New Testament. I have read, I've read that the word agape is not even found in classical Greek literature. Why? Because it's a foreign concept to the Greek intellectual. Because it's selfless love. It's selfless love. A Greek word that's not in the uh, Greek New Testament, but it was used a lot in the Greek Classical Greek is eros. That is the primary love that they knew about. It's the word from which we get the word erotic. But it's not just about sex and lust. The word eros is what's in it for me, love. What do I get out of this? If I, if I love you, what, what do I get? What are you going to do for me? Because I'm going to love you because of what I get from you. The word one of the other primary words in the Greek New Testament is translated word is uh, uh, philio. And it is, uh, it's the height of human emotion. If I make decisions by philio love, I'm making emotional decisions. A lot of people get married based on feelings. That's why... Marriages aren't happy a lot of the time and why so many marriages are divorced because emotions change. Emotions come and go. There's no, there's no way possible for a human being to have the same experience of emotions today as they did uh, uh, yesterday 
or that they'll have tomorrow. Uh, they, 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 emotions come and go and depending on what I'm focused on, depending on what my priorities are right now, emotions are affected by all of the natural life. They're very inconsistent. I call this filial love the 50-50 love. I'll love you with all of my heart. You love me with all your heart. Uh, and it hadn't really cost either one of us anything. I give you all of me. You get all of me, but you're going to give me all of you. And so I haven't, it hadn't cost either one of us anything and we can both experience this love. And that's okay while it works. But when emotions change, then love changes. And then we get to agape. Now, According to Mr. Vines, Mr. Vine, the love, agape, can only be known from the actions it prompts. That's why, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, First John 3.16. That's the ultimate gift. That's the ultimate act of love. But it's the same with us. It's not love to say, You don't love me because you're not doing anything for me. That's not love. Because agape love says, I love you enough. I'm going to do this for you. What you do in return is your your choice. It's your business. And it's not going to affect the fact that I love you. And that's why the Bible says that rain falls on the just and unjust alike. Sun comes up every, every morning for the wicked and the righteous. Why? Because all of that is God's love for us. He loves everybody the same. Same sunshine, same rain, it's all the same. Now, why is your life different than mine? Or mine different than somebody else's? Because each one of us is in a different situation where we have to decide whether or not we're going to even believe in God in that situation and whether or not we believe he loves us in that situation. Because when we define love by what God has done for us temporally, discounting what he did for us spiritually and taking our sins upon himself and dying on the cross, we don't know anything about love. We don't know anything about love. Mr. Vine says, Christian love has God as its primary object and expresses itself first of all, in implicit obedience to his commands. He says, self-will, that is self-pleasing, is the negation of love to God. Well, what have we been teaching in this series that self-will and self-pleasing is? Wrong motive. That's why I'm saying you have wrong motives and right motives. What is the only true right motive? Love. In the last lesson, we read from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, uh, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And in that he died for all, he that died, uh, that in that he died for all, that we which live should not henceforth live unto ourselves, but unto him that died for us and rose again. There it is. <laughs> that, that's the Christian life summarized very succinctly. I was dead. He died in my place because I'm dead in trespasses and sins, 
Ephesians 2. He died in my place, gave his life for me because I'm dead. And then he gave me his life. I'm now alive, but it's alive through his life. And so the question is going to be then, what am I going to do with his life that he's given me? It's his life. I was dead. He died so for me in my place so that he could give me his life. And now I'm living with his life. What am I doing with that? If I'm using and doing with his life living in me, that's the reason I'm now resurrected because I was dead in trespasses and sins. If I'm living with his life my way, whatever self wants, how offensive must that be to God? We don't think that's a big deal. So, you know, okay, I like to do stuff. I want, I will. Some of our favorite words. I wish. It's not about me, I, I, I. It's about him. What does he will? What does he want? Because there's no real peace outside his will. Therefore, there's no real peace outside his love. In respect to agape as used by God, it expresses the deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being towards entirely unworthy objects, producing and fostering a reverential love in them towards the giver and a practical love towards those who are partakers of the same and a desire to help others to seek the giver. Right there you have all three elements of the two greatest commandments. Right there you have it. Here is the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. I am unworthy, but because he loved us, we love him because he loved us. He loved me. I received his love. I believe his love. I trust his love. So his love is working through me now to enable me to do what it is that's pleasing to him. And then, because I've, he loves me and his love is now in me, this gives, this, produces in me a practical love toward those others who are partakers of the same because now I'm loved because he loved me. And I want to love those that are like me because they have experienced the same thing. And then I cannot ignore the fact that that love will also produce in me if it's true, if his love is truly in me and working in me a desire to help others that don't know his love seek and find the giver of that love. In summary of this lesson, we're going to read the last words of 1 Corinthians 13 and the first words of 1 Corinthians 14 as the transition. So Paul transitions out out of the chapter of motive, 1 Corinthians 13, into talking more specific things about being used supernaturally. And this is how it reads, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abideth hope, faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Love is greater than faith and hope. Why? Because 
faith works by love and hope. I can't have hope outside of the confidence in God's love for me. It is my confidence, my faith and trust in God's love for me that gives me hope. So faith operates by love. So love is greater than faith. And I can't have hope without knowing and believing that God loves me and trusting in that love because that's where hope comes from. So charity is the greatest. So that's how he ends this uh, chapter on motive. And now about it, faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. So here's the... uh, (laughs) Uh, here's the concluding points point here. He said earlier that I can covet the best gifts. He said that I could covet those gifts. Okay. I can covet the gifts. That's how he ended first Corinthians 12. I can covet the best gifts. So I can get gifts by covetousness, but that's dangerous to me and the kingdom. So Paul then talks about the motive, why coveting is not the way to pursue gifts. The motive is that we can be an instrument that God can use to glorify himself, not us. It's not so our names can be known by everybody. It's, it is so his name can be known by the whole world. That's the motive. So he says now about if Faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity or love, agape. Now follow after charity, agape, and desire spiritual gifts. So the motive is not to seek gifts. The motive is to seek and follow after charity. Now the Greek word there, follow after, is to to run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing, to run after. Uh, This is according to Thayer's. To press on figuratively. Use the one who is in a race, run swiftly to reach the goal. Metaphorically to pursue, to seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire. So this isn't just, uh, I wish I had love. No, it has to be the focus of our lives. I want God's love because his love is the key for everything else that's supposed to happen to me, in me, for me, through me. Because that's the only way I can be used of God and saved. I've said it in a recent video in this series. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be used. But it's a completely different thing, all completely, entirely different thing, to be both saved, used, saved and used. Because what's the determining factor? If I'm used and saved, motive, motive. My glory, I will not give to another. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you and I will allow the grace of God, which is the love of God in action in our lives by his spirit. The grace of God is the love of God working in our lives by his spirit. That the grace of God would work in our lives and bring us to the place that our motives are pure because our motive is Everything we do is done in, by, through, and for the love of God so that the Lord Jesus Christ can be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.